0: Listen, I've I've preached at a lot of churches, well five or six churches, and this is the first one that gave me a timer, which is nice. So thank you for that. No pressure. Does it blow up at thirty minutes? Or uh, all right, just a little shocks. Uh, well, listen, uh, uh, as David said, my name is Tyler McSwain. I am from uh, Metro North Church. I'm the director of Outreach Ministries uh, at Metro North Church. Uh, I'm also at Knox Theological Seminary, uh, working on finishing up my MDiv. Only got. A year to go, and you know, it's like running a race, you can see the finish line, but you just start. you can kind of, the temptation is just to start crawling, so I'm trying not to do that, uh, but keep going steadily. Uh, I'm actually joined today by my wife, uh, Tracy, we brought our two kids today, uh, Noah and Emily, and my wonderful mother and father-in-law, Nelson and Michelle Art are here today as well too, but listen, I've been, well, I came in this morning, this is my first time at Hope, and I came in this morning and I started talking to people, just kind of about the whole setup and operation here. Of everything you guys are doing, and as an outsider looking in and just talking to Nathan, talking to Brandon uh, in the past, it's very clear and obvious to me that God is at work here in Hope Community Church. So, if nothing else today, my goal in Hope is that you be encouraged at just what God is doing here through through this church, uh, through uh, in, in the Cane Bay community uh, and beyond. And so, we continue to pray for Hope. And my, you know, uh, I have on my bulletin in my office. This right in the dead center is a little little flyer for hope, and it's a reminder to me to keep praying for you guys and all that God's doing here, and it's just encouraging even to me to see that. So, uh, but so let's let's jump into God's word this morning. So you've been going through the gospel of John, Mark, tracking through. Uh, What the the life and the teachings of Jesus? Um, You know, we're going through our series uh, called Encountering Jesus, and so today we're going to pick back up in Mark chapter ten, in verse thirty-two. But first, I want to share this with you. I often loathe going to the optometrist or the eye doctor because I know what he's going to tell me. It happens every single year. I go, I take the test. They blow the stuff in your eyes that, you know, that make you, you know, scare you. You If you've ever gone to the doctor, you know what I'm talking about. But year after year, it's always the same pattern. Your eyes are getting a little worse. And I I just, it's also a reminder that I'm also getting a little bit older each time as well, too. But I, you know, I'm a person... Who wears contacts and I can't see very well without them. Uh, if I were to take out my contacts right now, most of you uh, in front of me would, would pretty much be a blur. But I'm not, I'm not totally blind without them, but I definitely couldn't see very well, so, especially, if, say, if I'm driving without contacts. I can't see. I've never done that before, by the way. But I, I wouldn't be able to see the road signs ahead of me or to know where I'm going or, you know, be able to make, make that out until it's, you know, too late and right in front of my face. So... Uh, but, but of course, you know, being able to, not being able to see very well just doesn't apply to us in our physical sight. There's an even worse affliction that sometimes happens with our sight that we all tend to suffer from time to time. There's that sort of blurred vision, or in other words, a blurred outlook that comes from pride or prejudice, or arrogance. I mean, think about when people argue with one another, right? Oftentimes, it's each person is selfishly trying to get the other person to understand their side of the story first, rather than trying to understand where the other person is coming from. Or even think about this. Uh, if, if you're like me, I wonder if these have ever been in your prayers with, with God sometimes. You know, you might say, God, why can't you just do this thing for me? Or why are you not doing something about this, God? Or God you're not answering my prayer. I know both as a husband and as a father, you know, um, having a wife and kids, I know I get pretty frustrated uh, when things aren't going my way and oftentimes I have to step back and realize maybe it's me and I'm, being, I'm just being selfish and not getting, about getting my way. But you know, here's the thing. In our relationship with God, if God always did things our way, would we really be following him? Or are we really asking God to follow us? Today, we're going to look how Jesus sets the example in Mark chapter 10 of what following him and his mission looks like. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through uh, thirty-two through 52. Let me go ahead and read that here for us now. Mark 10, 32 through 52 says this, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles." And Jesus said to them, "'You do not know what you are asking. "'Are you able to drink from the cup that I drink "'or be baptized with the baptism to which I am baptized?' And they said to him, "'We are able.' And Jesus said to them, "'The cup that I drink, you will drink. "'And with the baptism with I am baptized, "'you will be baptized. "'But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand "'is not mine to grant, "'but is for those whom it has been prepared.' And when the ten heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to, the, said to them, "You know that those two, uh, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. For uh, but whoever would be among you, or excuse me, but what, whoever would be great among you, must be your servant." And whatever would be first among you must be slave of all. And even for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples a great, uh, in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly gracious Father, we thank you this morning for the very breath that we have in our lungs. As we sing this morning, Father, the breath that we have is a grace from you. So we pray this morning, Father, that as we sit here, as we hear your word, or whether we hear this later on the recording, Father, would you speak to our hearts now? Would you hide me behind your cross and let these words come from you? Speak to all of us, me included, who really needs to hear this most of all this morning. In your name we pray, amen. The title of our sermon this morning is Encountering Jesus and His Mission. So how do we follow Jesus with the right outlook, right? We're talking about not being blind, so how do we make sure we follow Jesus with the right outlook? Well, I've got three points that I want to share with you this morning. You noticed on your, on your uh, notes there, you've got some blanks, so I'm going to make sure that you get those this morning. Uh, but point number one is this, is that we need to understand the dedication and following Jesus, Let's talk about here in verses 32 through 34 real quick. So, what exactly is going on here? So, what's actually happening in the story and life of Jesus is Jesus is, uh, is, or really, we're coming up to what we call Passion Week, or the week of Jesus' final, uh, the final week of Jesus' life here on earth. And his followers are on the road with him, headed to Jerusalem, where all of this is about to take place. Now, there's something here. That I don't want us to miss because it's very easy just to read 32 through 34 and just gloss over it. In verse 32, it says this: And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed him were afraid. In other words, Jesus wasn't just talking or just walking with his disciples, but he was walking ahead of them with some distance uh, between them, and he was walking with a very strong purpose. Luke 9.51 actually says it like this. He says, at, at, uh, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, if you're like me and, you know, big words like resolutely, just, you know, you don't you know what it means. You have to look it up. That's fine. I got you covered because I had to look it up. Resolutely meaning an admirably purposeful, determined, unwavering manner. In other words, Jesus was really walking with a really great purpose, a burden on his shoulders. His followers were amazed and afraid because they knew something big was about to happen. Though they didn't understand what it was exactly, but they knew. But Jesus knew. He knew exactly what was about to happen. He tells us in verses 33 and 34 that he was headed for his trial, that he was headed for suffering, that he was headed for for death at the hands of his own people. I recall Luke 22, 44, which describes this about how burdened Jesus was by this purpose. He says that he physically sweated drops of blood. And yet, knowing that, Jesus walked resolutely and dedicated to his mission to take on the full brunt, the worst of the worst of suffering and death, but in order to save his followers from an even greater eternal death. His eyes was on the prize, we might say. The prize, though, being the love for the Father and his love for us, his bride, his church. Knowing this should prompt us and motivate us in two ways. First, this should influence and motivate us in our worship of him. I don't know about you, but I can't think of another person or religion or act that was more motivated and invigorated with self-sacrifice and love than Jesus. Jesus tells us in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus did not say just simply say it, but he demonstrated it with his life of sacrifice and love for us in such a way that any kind of other love we could ever experience on our time here on earth just pales in comparison. There is no greater love out there for you than Christ's love for you. This should motivate us to worship him both with our hearts and with our lives. Second, As my wife said to me so wisely, Jesus knew the good, the bad, and the ugly of what was coming, yet it didn't stop him from leading by example of how we should follow him. In other words, we need to ask ourselves, are we truly dedicated to following him like he was dedicated in saving us? Are we willing to follow in his mission to love and serve him and to love and serve one another? Or are we just into the whole Jesus thing because of what he can do for us? So often we let our hearts wander from him, taking his mercies and his grace for granted that we really truly miss out on what it means that we get to follow Jesus. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And whoever would ever save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Uh, I love how Christian author and theologian, Dr. Phil Brown, says it like this. He says, to love God is self sacrificially commit oneself to delight in him, to rejoice in serving him, to desire continuing to please him, to seek one's happiness in him, and to thirst day and night for a fuller enjoyment of him. And listen, please don't misunderstand me today. What I'm not up here today to to say to you is that Uh, is that following Jesus in such a way to where you have to earn his love or that you have to somehow earn his salvation, that is not the gospel at all. That is not what we're saying. The truth is we can never deserve it. In our greatest efforts and our attempts, we could never deserve it. But what I am saying is that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and through his death and resurrection, we don't just have to follow him. We get to follow him. As Ephesians 2.8.9 says, we were spiritually dead. What do you do when you're dead? Nothing, you're dead. (laughs) As it says there, but he, Jesus, made us alive in him so that we get to walk in his love and service every day for all eternity. Not just while we're here on earth, but for all eternity. There is nothing this world can offer us That we would turn to that rather than be so dedicated to walk in our newness of life and following Christ. We have to ask ourselves are we truly dedicated to following Christ for who he is rather than just what he does for us? How else do we follow Jesus with the right outlook? This is our second point today. We need to understand the humility in following Jesus the humility in following jesus verses 35 through 45 we're going to take a look here it says they, so the story continues so they were continuing towards uh, jerusalem they really they're really we're going to see in a second they're really continuing towards jericho but but the goal is jerusalem and the story goes on with with all of a sudden we have both uh, we have both <laughs> james and john approaching jesus to make a rather bold request it's it's really Quite comical, honestly. They say uh, in verse 34, we want you to do, saying to Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's like my son Noah who comes up to me and, <laughs> and just wants me. He he's, he's comes up to me and he has, he has food. He has one for me and he has one for himself. But really, he just wants them both for himself. <laughs> but essentially, they're asking Jesus for a blank check which is absolutely outrageous. But Jesus, his response is so gracious. He lends them his ear and he responds, okay, well, what do you want me to do for you? So in verse 37, the request is that they get to join Jesus in his place of glory by allowing them to be seated on either side of him. The audacity of this request. They've done nothing for it, but yet they want the same glory as Jesus. The other thing, we, we, if you remember as you've been going through Mark, is this is the third time Jesus has told them between chapters 8, 9, and 10 about what's about to happen to him. But all that John and James can think about is glory, what they get out of it. And you see, the reality is disciples just simply don't get it. They just don't they just understand. Like a lot of, of Jesus' early followers, and, uh, as we read and come across these various characters throughout the Bible, they're, they're, what they're really thinking, what they're hoping is that Jesus is coming to overthrow Rome and to be another king like David who's going to save Israel from Roman occupation, and really what they're doing is they're, they're putting Jesus at their standards of what a king should be like. Both James and John are simply just trying to jump on an opportunity of honor and glory, but not in heaven, it's on earth. Don't miss that. They're not, they're, not, they're not heavenly thinking right now. They're looking forward to a king on this earth who's gonna save them, not a king of heaven who's gonna save them for all eternity. So blinded by their pride and their selfishness, their arrogance grows even more. When Jesus asks them in verses 8, 38 through 39, "Are you able to drink from the cup by drink?" they respond with something like, "Well yeah, of course we can." Again, they just don't get it. When Jesus talks about the, the cup and the baptism, he's referring to the suffering and the death and the resurrection that He and only He can do to save followers, and he's do, to save his followers, and he's doing it to establish an eternal kingdom. And yet, James and John seem to think, yeah, we can do that. You see, James and John are certainly willing, and I know I'm beating this to death this morning, but I don't want you to miss it. Jesus, James and John, are certainly willing to follow Jesus because of what they think it means for them. Earthly glory. They haven't grasped yet how, how, how that, uh, th- that actually means for them on earth is a life of service and even suffering. Jesus says, yeah, you're gonna drink that cup in that baptism. Well, if you don't know the story of James, yeah, he he gets killed off for his faith. John gets exiled, right? The glory, the real true glory comes from only what Christ can do. It is by his grace that we as believers even get to participate in his glory in in heaven. What does following Jesus really look like? He explains that to us in 43 through uh, 45. To be great, you must be a servant. To be first, you must be last as a slave. To achieve glory, you must serve with humility. Once again, Jesus calls us to this, but through his but only through his own example that he sets in verse 45. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. For us, the temptation is to think, I would never treat James or excuse me, Jesus like John and James did. I would never speak to Jesus that way. But the truth is, we often allow ourselves to fall into the very same trap, we often think we've got it all figured out when it comes to following Jesus. The reality is, if we do it based on our own wisdom, we deceive ourselves into thinking Christ would never call us to do something that takes us out of our comfort zones. I've heard a pastor once say that in our American culture, one of our greatest sin struggles is comfort. We idolize comfort. We desire to keep ourselves comfortable, including in our walk with Christ. Sure, I mean, we we come to church on Sundays, we read our Bibles, we pray, but are we really willing to let Christ take us out of our comfort zones and serve others with humility for the sake of getting the gospel outside our walls? Think about it like this. I'm willing to bet some or most of you are here today because someone took the time to get to know you and invited you here. I realize I might be stepping on some toes today, so let me be the first to say, this is something that I myself am, am, am working on, on serving uh, with, with the humility. But, so let's all be honest with ourselves. Do we ask God to give us lives of glory here on earth, but yet avoid serving and following Jesus by the example he set with, uh, giving his life as a ransom for many? Are we willing to to postpone earthly glory for the sake of following him for his eternal glory. Theologian Donald Jewell says, in the shadow of the cross, we get a brief glimpse of a new community in which relations are not governed by power or status, but by service and hospitality for those without status. A community in which those who who have been ransomed lie, who, sorry, let me say that again, a community in which those who have been ransomed live for others. Are we willing to be that sort of Christ-centered community living in his humility? And you might ask yourself, okay, I'm willing. What do I do? How do I do that? Hang on. We're going to look at that in our final point here. So which, let's move on here toward point number three. So how else do we follow Jesus with the right outlook? We need to understand the service in following Jesus. In other words, how we serve in following Jesus. Jesus just doesn't call us to humility through his words, but he proves his own humility and service to others. As we move on here in uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, uh, the chapter really concludes with this narrative about a blind man named Bartimaeus who was sitting along the road as they were headed towards Jerusalem. And Jesus and his great uh, crowd of followers pass him he calls out to them in verse 47, 48, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Yet the crowd wants nothing to do with this man. They're treating him as if he's a waste of Jesus's time, as if he's a distraction to what's really go, what really needs to happen from their point of view. But Jesus doesn't see it that way. He stops and calls for Bartimaeus. Now notice here, Jesus asks him in verse 51 the very same question that he asked James and John back in verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus replies, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus responds, your faith has made you well. Now Jesus allows Bartimaeus to go his own way but when we read the uh, final verse in this chapter, we see that Bartimaeus chose to follow Jesus. Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his, his sight and followed him on the way. There's a stark contrast here between the, the request of James and John and the request of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. While James and John were blinded by their pride and their selfishness and their arrogance, Bartimaeus, who was physically blind, could see in faith Jesus' true identity as the Son of David that was prophesied about the Messiah. Bartimaeus, the blind guy, gets it. In the reality, though, We don't want to miss this either. The reality is that the true healing for Bartimaeus was not that he got his physical sight, but that his spiritual sight was now fixed on following Jesus for all eternity. In Jesus' compassion and service for a lowly, rebuked, outcast beggar, Bartimaeus gained spiritual healing of the heart. So what, this, this, this narrative here prompts us that we should not only have humility, but that we should be willing to reach out to others with the gospel through serving them. We do such a great job of serving one another and serving those in our Christian circles, but what about those who are not yet part of God's kingdom? Who are the Bartimaeuses in our own life that not only have some sort of physical or earthly need, but they they need that spiritual healing that Bartimaeus got that can only come from hearing the gospel. I mentioned this in point two, what are some of the practical ways that we can serve and serve with humility? I've got just a couple things here I wanna give out to you. We can use the gifts, the talents, the money, the possessions, and the time, and really the very breath in our lungs that God has given us to bless others. We can build relationship with the lost, living life together with Christ and the gospel in mind. We can go the extra mile for our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers who are, who are in need with Christ in mind. We can do simple things like inviting them out to a meal or inviting them over to our home just to get to know them and hear their story. We can invite them to our church services, uh, to our church events, or even to small groups Or we could even do something as simply as just offering to pray with them and pray for them. As we get ready here to close out, I want to end with just a short story of of, of someone who personally impacted me of serving with humility. Probably one of the most undesirable, dirty jobs is to be a janitor at a school. Every day, for six days a week, a custodial lady named Mrs. Diane uh, came into my previous job, came into our office, she cleans all the bathrooms, she cleans all the offices, um, and I 've personally witnessed working at, a, working at a school how dirty those, those bathrooms can get. But yet every day, Mrs. Diane would come into our office with her Christian music playing, humming or singing Christian songs, always stop and always would stop to ask me, "How are you doing today? How is your wife? How is your family?" And usually for a while, I just because I didn't know her very well and I didn't take the time to get to know her, I just usually gave her a shallow response of, oh, we're good, we're fine, we're doing well. But finally one day, just she pierced my heart and I finally started opening up to more, her more and telling her that I was just having a really rough day and I just had stuff on my mind that was really bothering me and weighing me down. And any time I ever t- shared that with her, she would always take the time to stop what she was doing, to sit down and to take a moment to talk with me and give me a word of encouragement and even praying for me. So one day, I mean, this, this went on for about a year of getting to know her. So one day, I, just, I went up to her and I said, listen, I am so thankful that God put you in my life to encourage me. And listen, this was her response. I was touched by it. She goes, that's exactly why I'm here. My job is to keep everything clean, but I know God really has me here to reach out to others who need to hear the gospel and who need to be encouraged. This is a person who understands what serving with humility in a lowly position for the sake of the gospel really means. So as we close here, just a reminder to you all, we are dedicated to following Christ, not because we have to earn his love or earn our salvation, but that we get to follow in his footsteps for eternal life and for for his glory. Christ calls us to follow him and his example by following in his humility to serve others for the sake of the gospel. We all have a Bartimaeus in our lives, if not multiple, that we can serve who needs to hear the gospel. And listen, I know some of these things that we've talked about today are things that may be a struggle for you. They're a struggle for me too. But remember, remember, Christ is not keeping a scorecard on our life. We get to experience his grace every day as his Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us to grow more and more in his likeness. The question we need to ask is, are we willing to deny ourselves to take up our cross daily and to follow him? Let's pray. Father, we come before you as a people, Lord, who desire to be near to you. And yet, Lord, we come before you as a needy people who have burdens on our hearts, who have things that we're concerned about or worried about, with jobs, with families, with bills, with sicknesses and health and situations and circumstances out of our control. But Lord, Father, we know that you are a God who never leaves us or forsakes us. And yet, God, we know that you are a God who is working in our lives every day to bring us more and more into your likeness, to bring us more and more closer and closer to your glory. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help all of us to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with your Holy Spirit, to ask, are we truly dedicated into following you regardless of the circumstances? Are we willing to follow in the example you've set for us? Would you help us to do that every day? We can't do it without you, but we thank you that we get to do it alongside of you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.